The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. What happens when you have an astronomer, a geneticist, and a philosopher? All three of them get together at lunchtime, they come to St Andrew's Cathedral, and they have a conversation about the purpose of humanity and science. Sounds like the beginning of a very bad joke to me, because none of you are laughing. And that's what we have today. Hopefully not a bad joke, but an honest, serious discussion on the topic of science and what can it say about the purpose of humanity. If I draw your attention to your outlines, uh, there are the bios of our various panellists today. And uh, why don't you uh, start off with a round of applause as they take their seats, and I'll introduce them to you now. Come on up. Uh, so grab a seat. Uh, so uh, on your left is uh, Lewis, Dr. Lewis Jones, and he'll be uh, moderating our discussion and uh, to your furthest right is uh, Peter Slezak, uh, who specialises in philosophy, particularly uh, the relationship of science and, um, and philosophy. Uh, we have uh, Caroline Foster, who's our astronomer, and Peter Schofield, who is our geneticist. Uh, also, if you look on the second page, you'll see uh, we'd love to have your questions from the floor in part of this conversation, so if you want to SMS uh, your question, the number is there on your outline and will also be on the screen now. And if you're into technology and would like to tweet, uh, you can see the hashtag there. But without further ado, I'll hand over to Lewis and he'll kick us off with our discussion today. Thanks, Mark. And yeah, well, welcome, everybody. And um, I'll, I'll give you just a very quick rundown on the panelists. Um, Professor uh, Peter Schofield. He has a joint appointment as the Executive Director and Chief Executive Officer of Neuroscience Research Australia, and is also a professor in the School of Medicine at the University of New South Wales. Um, uh, Dr. Caroline um, Foster, OSGO Research Fellow at the um, uh, Australian Astronomical Observatory, and um, Associate Professor Peter Slezak um, from the School of Humanities and Languages at the University of New South Wales, as you heard, um, Philosophy and Philosophy of Science. Um, now, uh, Caroline is uh, an extragalactic astronomer, um, not, but from, not from outside the galaxy, um, uh, but interests in galaxy formation evolution, as well as cosmological voids, or you could say more properly, the study of nothing. And um, so I, want, I thought I'd start with Caroline, because I'm sure we're all wondering how you get paid to study nothing. Um, so uh, I have two questions, but I'll start with this one about nothing first, um, that is, how what is this nothing that you study? Um, how do you study nothing? And what are you hoping to learn from this? Okay. Well, um, I think maybe a little bit about scale first so that okay. you guys can understand how big these nothings are. <laughs> maybe that will make them interesting. Um, so a parsec is essentially 3.2 light years. So that's the distance that light would travel in 3.2 years. Okay. You put a million of those, that's one megaparsec, so one million parsecs. Okay. 10 times that, that's roughly the diameter of these voids that I was studying. So essentially, they're bubbles 
or um, foams that are defined by the outskirts of them are essentially galaxies. So that was a big surprise in some of the big redshift surveys that happened that people were not expecting the universe to be foamy, if you want, <laughs> the, the galaxies to be distributed like that. And so there's a lot to be gleaned from basically the shape of them, but also their sizes. So I, that's what I was studying. Uh, okay. All right. Thank you. Very good. All right. There you go. Um, thank you for that explanation. Now, okay. Um, Steven Weinberg has, um, has said this. He's a, he's a physicist as well. Um, the more the universe seems comprehensible, the more it seems pointless. Um, I was just wondering, for, as an astronomer, you're, you're on the macro scale of things. You're confronted with the, well, megaparsecs, the vastness of the universe, as well as just the way the universe seems to be you know, tuned for, um, in, in particular ways. And I'm just wondering whether that has caused you to reflect then at all on the purpose of humanity in that, in that big picture. It has, uh, for sure. Um, I think it's... It's very difficult to find or to use, for, in opinion, all right, for me to find purpose using science in that sense. Indeed, you look at the, um, just the vastness of the universe. So we live around, we live on a little planet around one star, which is amongst billions of stars within one galaxy. And I was just telling you that these galaxies define these bubbles. Well, we already know of probably a billion and more galaxies, and we think there are billions more that we haven't yet detected, right? So that makes you, well, it gives you a sense of humility, perhaps, mm. and puts things into perspective. And also, uh, you know, referring to Carl Sagan's Pale Blue Dot, where basically mm. he's thinking about um, Voyager looking back at the Earth, and it's just this little dot, little speck in a distance, and everyone lives there, everything, the wars, the religions, and so forth, that we wage on each other. And in his conclusion is that we actually ought to ha cut each other some slack. You know, So there is something to be learned about purpose if you want, but maybe not uh, the purpose of humanity as a whole. I'm not sure that... Um, the vastness of the universe helps us there. Okay, all right, but humility uh, maybe is something we can glean from. Uh, <laughs> yes, okay. Thank, thanks, Caroline. Now, over to you, um, Peter Schofield. Um, you study mental illness, particularly um, bipolar disorder is one of the, the main interests. And, um, but an, an ill brain um, suggests a healthy brain as well, that there's an idea of a healthy brain. So um, does healthy just mean the most common state of brains in, um, among humanity? Um, or, is there, or does healthy refer to some other kind of assumption or presupposition about humanity that would mean that this is a healthy brain rather than that? That's a lovely, simple question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think we can see from illness um, a perspective on what we might think of as, as, as normality or, or, or health. Um, and, and that's, that's a, a practical and pragmatic question because individually we go, um, mostly, um, I, I'm not working as well as I think I should. I'd, I'd like to be working at that other level. Uh, perhaps the flip of your question, though, is um, what is the um, distribution of brain function? If, if, because the way you asked me the question, you were sort of saying, well, health is over here. Does that mean normal is in the middle of the distribution and there's something super normal over here? Um, I, I don't have an answer for you, but it is a very interesting way of thinking about how our brains are wired, how they're put together, um, how they work for us and how my perspectives and perceptions on the world 
I think are normal, but you think yours are normal, and they might or might not be the same. Right. <laughs> okay, so nothing, nothing fundamental um, coming out of uh, that question of the distinction between healthy and normal in terms of assumptions about what makes a human uh, a functioning human uh, or well, a, the best it can be. Um, well, because I, I, I think it, it's sort of the way that the disability community would talk. Um, I am not a person with bipolar. I am not defined by my illness. I'm a person. I just happen to also have this condition or that attribute. Um, and so I think that's also a good way of thinking about the way in which our brains work. Um, uh, you know, if I have an illness, if I have a mental illness, I still have a brain, it is still working, it is still serving me in my life and my perception of the world, that might be different from yours. Mm. And that might be partly due to the illness, um, and it might not be. But, uh, yeah. Uh, good. Thanks, Peter. Uh, over to the other Peter, Peter Slezak. Um, now... You're our kind of resident philosopher, so I'd go, I thought I'd go with a definition question for you. Um, and uh, Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The Magic of Reality. And it, the, the conclusion of that book says this. Um, so where does life come from? What is it? Why are we here? What are we for? What is the meaning of life? There's a conventional wisdom which says that science has nothing to say about such questions. Well, all I can say is that if science has nothing to say it's certain that no other discipline can say anything at all. So, uh, love your reaction to that. To that. Well, you're a philosopher, so it, is that offensive to you? Um, and, and there's this question about scientism. I was hoping you could define for us scientism, and is this bordering on that kind of idea? Well, look, on the meaning of life and how science uh, illuminates that or doesn't, um, I mean, I sort of agree with Dawkins, but the other way I'd put it is that science does answer the question. There is no meaning to life. I mean, science tells you a lot about what makes sense and what doesn't, and the question is kind of silly, because people don't notice that the term meaning or purpose, as I think it might be appropriate, is something that is really in, in, in Peter's domain. It's something that comes with brains and, and, and sentient organisms. They have purposes. The question of the purpose of everything doesn't make sense. It's a silly question. I mean, it just is. And, and uh, you, you can't even ask the question sensibly about the whole universe and the cosmos and... So, so in a way, these questions that, that drive a lot of people, uh, they're a kind of curiosity that's based on a kind of philosophical mistake. The question is, is, is silly. And, and in a way, what follows from that is that we should look for purpose not in the whole universe, whether it's big or small. I mean, to go back to Caroline's point, I don't know whether people would feel more comforted if the world wasn't as big as you said it was. <laughs> if it was smaller, would you feel any better? I mean, you know, it tells you the question's silly. So, I mean, one answer, I mean, the only answer, I think, to the question is, the purpose is within your life. It has to come from what purposes we give our lives and, and make sense of our, our, our existence in terms of uh, the goals that we have and so on. And that's the only way the question makes any sense. So, so, so I agree with Dawkins about science and, and I agree that there's no other way to find out anything meaningful about the universe except through science. So I'm on his side, I mean, I don't like a lot of things about Dawkins, but, <laughs> but I agree with him on that anyway. Okay, and then... Um a definition of scientism, because that, that is a word that gets bandied about in these kind of questions sometimes. So if you could give us a definition, your definition of science. Well, it's used in all sorts of ways. I think the general idea is that it's some kind of um, abuse of science or misuse of science or, or overestimation uh, of the importance of science. I'm not sure whether I'm guilty of scientism, but to repeat, I think science is the only way you get answers to anything. Look, one of the important things about science is it took, you know, thousands of years to evolve to a very highly refined form of rationality. It's, the, it's, it's, it's uh, um, a way of finding um, 
how to inquire into the world that avoids the, the biases and the, the human errors that we make. It's, it's a highly refined social institution. It's the best way we have of understanding the world. And, and so uh, I'm a great fan of science. Uh, I'm a frustrated scientist. I wish I was <laughs> still doing some science. So, so uh, I don't know. Whether, scientism is a kind of a rude word for people that somehow overreach the bounds of appropriate inquiry in science. Well, I'm not sure what that means. Sure, okay. Um, now, in terms of this, in terms of overreaching the bounds of, of science and what, what scientists actually think about in the lab, I just thought I'd ask our, the two resident scientists, um, when, you, when you're in your, in your lab fiddling with DNA in a Petri dish or whatever it is, or you're staring at, you know, galaxies, um, are you thinking about these bigger questions and, and saying, oh, I wonder if science is going to answer this question for me? Um, are your colleagues thinking about those questions? Uh, yeah, curious as to what, what the practice is. Um, look, I'd, I'd pick a little from um, Peter's comments there. I think that when you're actually in the process of conducting a scientific experiment, doing the research, you're probably actually trying to use some rigor and discipline, asking the question in a, in a robust way that will try to actually answer it in a factual way. What you ask me, though, is a different question. When I'm looking at, uh, you know, the amazing complexity of our genetic code and how it wires up our brain, does that give me um, um, time or, or, or the, you know, the, the reason to pause and think, this is really quite phenomenally amazing in, uh, in the complexity of, of, of the universe, but in a much more restricted space? about how such a small number of instructions can lead to such an incredible diversity and enable this uh, biological machine to uh, not only record and hold for decades facts and figures and information and images and um, memories and sense of smell and so forth, but also to come back and, and then ask some of these bigger questions. So do I sit there every day thinking that? Um, no. But every so often you get to that point where you do just sort of think about these two things and go, there's a very interesting conundrum here. All right. I think um, in answering that, I, I have like, thought about what's the purpose and why am I doing this and mm. why am I looking at stars that are so far away I don't make any difference in anybody's life by analyzing this galaxy <laughs> and how it moves around. But so I've had these sort of... Um, how do you say, um, existential yes. <laughs> questions, obviously. But I would like to um, politely disagree, if I may, <laughs> with the fact that um, there is that the question of purpose doesn't make sense. Um, I'm sure this is nothing perhaps new under the sun, but I'm sure, you know, other people have thought the same, but I... I can't help but thinking, if I find a piece of technology, alien technology, be it from outer space or from some other society or maybe an archaeological dig or some sort, and it looks like it's technological, we want to understand what does it do. Well, we may actually start, you know, pulling it apart and then understanding its functions and we might understand the how, and but we might actually never find out its purpose unless we can go and ask the engineer or the person who actually made it, why did you make this thing? Oh, this is used for such and such a purpose. And so I see the universe very much, okay, just very reductionistically as a thing, if you want. <laughs> and for me, obviously, with my background um, as a Christian, 
It has a creator, an engineer, if you want, and so there must be a purpose to it. So Can I come back quickly on that? Yeah. Look, here's a question for you then. I mean, this is a well-known and famous argument about the, the design, and it had to have been designed by an intelligence. But just about purpose, I mean, it's not original with me. I have to give credit to the joke to another philosopher, but he said, look, you know, does the chicken get its purpose for becoming my chicken sandwich, you know, uh, afterwards? <laughs> How can the purpose for the chicken be somebody else's outside intentions for you? So the idea that your purpose in life comes from a being uh, outside mm. is itself a slightly odd idea. It goes back to my idea that the only purpose comes from my life, not for the fact that somebody else had a purpose for me, assuming that even makes sense or is true scientifically. So, so I'm not sure that it helps make sense of my life if I know someone else is looking after me or doing it for me. I think that... Can I respond quickly? Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. All right, yes, yes. <laughs> Give it a quick shot, and yeah. then I'll, I want to move on. Yeah. So we were talking before about purpose. I, I see here sort of two different purposes. There's a purpose with a big P, yeah. which is what I'm talking about yes. here, the guy who, uh, the being or an intelligence or uh, order or something who made the laws and so forth, and the universe exists. For some reason, it's here. And... The, the purpose with a little p, which is what I think you're referring to, which I agree. I mean, everyone has to find out their own purpose for themselves. And indeed, yeah, this, I mean, you can get some references, and I think indeed science there can really help. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure that for the big p purpose of why is the universe even there in the first place, I think for that we'd have to ask whoever made it. <laughs> Okay. All right, good. Thanks. Um, now, we, we've got a question from the audience, and I want to lead into that question um, uh, with a quote from Francis Crick, um, who's the, you know, double helix DNA sort of fame guy. Um, he says, you, your joys and your sorrows, your memories and ambitions, your sense of personal identity and free will are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. And the question we have um, is, as a geneticist, so that to you uh, first, anyone else can comment, can we see purpose from our DNA? Is there, mm -hmm. is there something encoded there that um, instructs us about the purpose of humanity? This might be a, just a simple yes or no answer, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we have to agree with Francis Crick in the first instance um, that that we can manifestly see that there is no more there than is there in, in the actual physical entity. Um, but but we're, we're now back at the question of purpose. Um, and so, you know, as humans, we have this uh, phenomenal ability to actually um, transcend above and beyond the chemical constituents that we are. Uh, we are sentient beings. And so each of us, I think, can then, in two senses, probably find uh, the, the small p purposes, as you were using, Caroline, about um, me, my understanding of the world, but can also try to put that into a, um, a, a, a theological or a cosmological framework as well. Um, so I think Crick was, was technically correct, but remember, Crick spent most of his um, latter life trying to understand what was consciousness. Yep. Because... It was that intangible, which was almost impossible to define in a biological or a chemical sense. But we all knew that each one of us here had it and was able to exercise it. And, and so it, it does become one of those really fundamental questions of, of that, how can you take science across um, 
to religion, to philosophy, to, to those questions which rely on the, the scientific element but actually span across. Our other Peter, do you want to make a comment? I was going to jump in. Uh, Crick spent a lot of his time on consciousness, which, of course, philosophers have spent a lot of time yes. worrying about. It's a big mistake. <laughs> I mean, people, people don't worry about their kidneys uh, and, and where there could be some transcendent phenomenon going on. And, and I don't have to explain to you. You know better than I do. The kidney and the brain are just two different kinds of cell assemblies, exactly. and they just do different things. things. And there's no reason to think... That, but the, the reason philosophers worry about consciousness is because we can introspect. As far as anybody else is concerned, they're just robots. They're all machines. And science doesn't give you any grounds for thinking otherwise. But unfortunately, we can think with our brain, and then we think it's somehow special. But it's just like the kidney, only different. You know. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Very good. Okay. Thank you. Uh, think of that when you think of your brain next time. Um, <laughs> Now, uh, I thought I'd go back, uh, another question from the audience, to a, to a more um, astronomical scale. Um, this is uh, a question about uh, Lawrence Krauss's book on nothingness and how you create a universe from nothing. Um, and uh, I, really, the question is really, does anyone have any comments? Um, but, I, but I guess I, I, I'd ask, I'd add to that, um, do you have any, um, what's, your, what's your reflection on, on his idea of nothing, if, if that idea is familiar to you? It's not. It's not? <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Um, Peter, are you um, au fait with uh, Lawrence's... Lawrence Krauss well, a little bit, but, but uh, I'll turn the question back to, to Carolyn yeah, in a minute off, because yeah. philosophers uh, have debated with theologians about whether it makes sense, as I understand, and you can help with the physics, the idea of a singularity, and it, it all came out of nothing. And so there's a lot of debate about what nothing is and whether something could come out of nothing, and I had a debate with a theologian about exactly this. But it was mm -hmm. interesting because it did take up the serious questions which you're the expert on and what it means to talk about, I mean, the, the singularity, the Big Bang, yeah. nothingness. So... That's an interesting question, what that means from a scientific point of view and whether you can read theological conclusions into that. I don't think so, but that's the question what the science says. I think many scientists will find any singularity as, as a sort of offense, if you want. Um, I, I don't know if I can speak for everyone here, but, I mean, the fact that everything could be in a single dot, I mean, the whole concept is... I'm not sure that it even makes sense to the people who actually postulated these theories in the first place. And so this is obviously one of the reasons why people are still looking for the grand theory of everything, because they still think that there's got to be... I mean, we observe the effect that there is indeed a lot of matter in very, very tiny little spaces. That's got to be a singularity, but it's still got to be something physical, not just my equations broke down. Yes. There's got to be a better explanation, <laughs> like physical... Again, you know, not that I know this for a fact, but in my mind, like it's a, it's frustrating to, to think that we started from a singularity. Like I just, and yeah, you can read whatever you want into that. Like uh, people I know have gone um, on really wild speculations as to what the singularity might be, and some have attributed this to uh, being of some sort. But I don't think that the science is clear at all on mm -hmm. that sort of aspect. But science has always said surprising things. Yeah. If empty space is curved, I find that just as disturbing, or whatever <laughs> else science tells you. In fact, the whole history of science is people get upset. I mean, evolution was, was very disturbing. So the fact that it's disturbing just means you defer your intuitions to what science tells you. You just do the equations and don't worry about it. That's, the, that's Feynman's answer. Just do the math and don't ask what it means. Or don't try and imagine it. So can I, can I follow up with a, with a nothingness question um, and, and from, from Lawrence Krauss's idea? That is, that 
when he, when he postulates that you can create a universe from nothing, his nothingness um, is, in a sense, a simple state, uh, you know, the simplest state of, uh, you know, quantum state, in a sense, that then erupts into um, whatever we have uh, now. Um, so I guess I'm just uh, wondering whether, whether we can call that nothing or ha- how, we would define, how we define nothing. And maybe that's a question for the both of you. <laughs> whether a simple physical I to the scientist on that. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it's a deeply philosophical question. <laughs> I mean, are, are the laws of nature that we're actually measuring and finding out that how the universe works, the stuff that, you know, my bread and butter, basically, mm. is, that, is that something tangible? I mean, I can write equations on a board and, ex- like, predict where the, this planet will be tomorrow and so on and so forth, but is that something? Or is that nothing? It's not really nothing. It's not really something. I don't know. Is it? I don't know. Well, the equations are different from what they describe. An equation is a description. I mean, it's like words. So you've got the world, and then you're finding ways of describing it, and better or worse, and you improve it. So where the equations come from, I mean, people worry about what mathematics is and what the status of the numbers are and whether they exist in some sense like like tables and chairs. That's a difficult question. Uh, Whether that's nothing or not, I mean, it's it's not science, though. That's, That's kind of the status of mathematics and... You can give psychological explanations for that, but that's a whole, you know, lecture course. <laughs> right. All right. Um, let, let me ask another uh, another purpose question um, from from Richard Dawkins, um, and th- this may be a brief one, um, which will be okay because it'll give us more time to do some other things before we finish. Um, but Dawkins says this. He says um, the the universe is nothing but a collection of atoms in motion. Human beings are simply machines for propagating DNA, and the propagation of DNA is a self-sustaining process. It is every living object's sole reason for living. So there, he's assigned a purpose to humanity, and that is to propagate DNA. Um, you're, you're a geneticist. Um, is that, does that ring true, or what's your reaction to that? Um, well, I guess technically, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that, that I think is a truism. I think that does come out of evolution. Um, it does leave me rather unsatisfied um, with regard to purpose, though. Right, so that that um, that idea of purpose doesn't do it for you. It doesn't. Uh, I, I don't consider that that that, that um, is is a purpose or my purpose. No, mm. no. Even though, technically and factually, I think that's um, a very you know reductionist uh, explanation of, of, of what we do mm. and what we are. Um, but I think that's that's. Um, in one sense, very unsatisfying and, and doesn't actually speak to um, the reality of, of sort of day-to-day existence. And um, Peter Slozak, does that, does that um, uh, satisfy you, the idea that can, can you assign a purpose in that sense? Um, no, from what I was saying, but the big P question, yeah. uh, I don't need the big P question, but maybe you have to be cured of that. It's one of the things that you, you learn when you, you study philosophy and science. I mean, look, it's not new. Lucretius, you know, in ancient times said there's just atoms in the void. That's the same point that... Mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. And that's what science tells you. So anything else you say after that, you're just making it up. It's just like, you know, you, you're finding um, maybe aesthetic or, or religious reasons, but science doesn't warrant any of that. And maybe you... Stop needing it. I mean, I've got to the point where I don't need to... I'm quite satisfied. I, I read Bertrand Russell when I was 16, and he gave this sort of bleak picture that, you know, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But, but then he said it makes sense. He's got a lovely phrase that, that not, the, the purpose of life is something like it's guided by knowledge and inspired by love or something like that. It's rather eloquent. Mm. That's fine. That fits with the Lucretian view. You don't need more. Why do you need more? 
He says something like, happiness is no less happiness, or purpose is no less happiness, because it comes to an end, because the universe is big, or, you know, that's the only, and I think that's the scientific picture of the world, so it's odd that I'm, you know, spouting the scientific view <laughs> to two scientists, but, but you can be satisfied with that, and it's inspiring, and people like Bertrand Russell found a kind of an aesthetic and, and deeply emotional satisfaction from that. Einstein spoke that way. So it's not like you can't find those meanings consistent with this, this bleak uh, picture. Thanks. Now, over to the scientists then. Do, do you find science to be uh, an exhaustive explanation of your, um, of, of your experience of, of the world, like in, in, in that sense? My purpose or my experience of the world? You, <laughs> an, an, explana an exhaustive explanation. That is an explanation oh, that, yeah. rules out, that rules out the idea of purpose, as, as um, Peter Slezak's been suggesting. I guess that goes back to, can you actually explain everything? Can, can actually science, or is science the only pursuit that will bring you to truth? I think I've answered that for myself, but it's everyone to their own, I guess. Um, for me, I think there are other ways to have truth. But, um, yeah, I mean, definitely... It's only on Sunday, though. <laughs> for, sir, for some, perhaps. <laughs> Uh, and, and then to respond to that, I think I would say, um, and so uh, philosophy is not science, but it is a way of, of um, attempting to understand and integrate the various uh, pieces of information. Um, and, and so philosophy is one way of, of grappling with those non-scientific questions. And I don't think any of us are arguing about the, the, the ability of science to um, describe, define, predict, um, what's going on in our world. Yeah. Um, the, the, the question that, that I think you framed to all of us in inviting us was, um, and where does this sit with that um, larger sense of purpose? And it could be uh, a philosophic understanding, um, it could be a religious or a Christian understanding, um, or for many it could be something I just didn't think about because they hadn't quite got to that those deeper questions at this point. Now, uh, we'll, this will be our last. This will be our last question. Um, we'll let it do the rounds here, and it's a question from the audience. Um, that is, why do we do science, um, and does the enterprise of science actually teach us something um, about why we're here on this planet? Mm -hmm. um, if we're if we're that curious, does that tell us something about what we're doing here? <coughs> Anybody? The scientists <laughs> better answer that first. <laughs> oh, well, I'll start. Um, look, I, I think it's intrinsically human, whatever, whatever that is, um, to want to know, define and understand. Um, and so for that reason, that's why I think the, the, um, the enterprise called science has developed. It is a, a rigorous way of trying to um, know and identify and understand. Uh, individually, um, you, you know, as, as a geneticist, neuroscientist, the community is interested in how our genes work, how our brains work, because they've all got genes, they've all got <laughs> brains, um, and, and they may not be scientists, but they're actually interested in the thing. Um, equally, I'm not a cosmologist, but there's, a, 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 and I think you'd probably share this comment that how many people are so interested in um, things astronomical and cosmological, um, even though at one level it really doesn't matter one iota. So I, I, I think um, that, that that is something to my mind that is part of, of being human 
of, of wanting to delve, to know, to understand. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. <laughs> I don't know what more to add. Um, but uh, I guess I will add something, I guess, with my field from astronomy and um, just what I've, from my experience as well, it would events similar to this or also just uh, public talks and so forth. Just the sheer interest in the public, but everywhere. I, I'm not sure, I'm not an anthropologist, so I cannot say if this is everywhere of all humanity, but I have a suspicion it might have been that people always looked up and what is this? Like, I wonder what this bright dot thing is. And, you know, oh, we've worked out, oh, it's a ball of gas burning. And, you know, I think, I don't know, there's this thing, we all live under the same sky, we've all looked up at the sky and wonder where it comes from. And so I think, yeah, in a way, it's almost like our brains were, um, or we were given this sort of ability, if you want, um, either by nature or via evolution, or um, whether guided or not, whatever it is, mm -hmm. I've got no idea, but, you know, this, um, yeah, this ability to wonder and understand and grasp these concepts that in the end, like you said, probably don't matter. <laughs> yeah. Can I add a quick word? I agree with what you both said. Um, I think it's deeply innate in us to seek the truth, to, to be curious. That's just mm. built in. And science is the highest achievement, the highest realization of that attempt to understand the truth. But if I could add one other thing, the value of science is, as I was saying, I think, earlier, it also gives you a method for seeking the truth and for avoiding the biases that prevent us from seeing the truth. That goes well beyond science into life and into politics where it's very hard. People find it very hard to pursue the truth consistently. There's a lot of things that get in the way. Passions, uh, politics, allegiances, tribal loyalties. And so science is the best model and some of the leading philosophers have held up science as the model for life generally. And I think that's an inspiring and, and, and uh, important value which take science seriously, as you said, the curiosity to follow the truth rigorously wherever it leads. So that's not just a scientific motivation, that's a kind of a moral one. All right, well, thank you very much. Let's uh, thank the panelists. And, um, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, well, can I again thank the panelists for helping us, well, guiding our conversation, our discussion on what science can say about the purpose of mankind or humanity. I've got a couple of announcements. Uh, and so can you bear with me as I go through those? Uh, if you open up your outlines, there will be an information card. Uh, if you're new with us today, uh, let me welcome you. And if you could fill that out, that'll be fantastic. It's a way that you can hear about uh, what's coming up next week at the forum and also the upcoming series. Next month, we'll be having uh, a series called Ask God, you know, where some of the key questions that people have been asking God will be answered. Uh, and we'll have uh, more discussion about that. So if you'd like to find out more, uh, that's the best way for us to keep in contact with you and to keep you up to date. So please fill that out. I'll continue with two more announcements, uh, which is on Monday, or sorry, at the forum, it's Science Month. And uh, this coming Monday, we have uh, one of our big events, uh, which is Dr. John Lennox. Uh, he's going to come uh, be speaking at the town hall. Uh, he's actually uh, still on a national tour with us. And so here's some pictures from Perth. So they had a, a big concert hall there. Uh, that's the stage. And voila, there's uh, John Lennox. And uh, he, he uh, answers questions uh, and also presents uh, how can science and God, do they mix? What's the relationship between them? I have some sad news, which is uh, the actual event on Monday, uh, t just across the road at Town Hall, has just sold out yesterday. 
so if you're hoping to uh, buy tickets, uh, we have a wait list and we're hoping to be able to uh, free up some other tickets. So if you'd like to um, uh, sort of register on that wait list, please call the office or uh, email info at cdbiblecorum.org and, and we'll uh, see if we can uh, accommodate as many people as possible. Finally, last week is, uh, next week is the last week of Science Month and uh, uh, Dr. Lewis Jones will be here again examining how far can science take us. We've kind of entered this discussion on, on purpose uh, and now um, we're going to look at this question of morality. What kind of morality does science teach? Can it teach us to be good? And that will kind of finish off uh, Science Month for us. But why don't we uh, give another round of applause to our panellists and thank them again. Otherwise, I hope you have uh, had a chance to take a break from work and maybe been in a little bit more informed about this question. And I wish you all the best for your afternoon. Hope to see you next week. Thanks. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.